So we're continuing the Set Free series. This is the last week of that series, and the great part about the song that Hannah just sung um, it comes down to that, doesn't it? If we're going to grow in faith, if we're going to, to become who God would have us to be, then it starts with a place of honesty that we, we need to be willing to, to look at ourselves and others in an honest and truthful light. Thank you, Hannah. That was awesome. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, being set free to live, and that the, was the do the do's, and you don't have time to do the don'ts message. And um, I hope that that's been a focus over the last couple of weeks, that you've been looking at what is it that we're, I'm supposed to be doing as a Christian, because really, if I focus on those, then, then I'm going to be in better shape. If I focus on don'ts, it's really about enslavement and bondage anyway, because it's about not doing and that's inaction, and we need to be uh, active in our faith and in our world. Last week, we talked about uh, being set free to serve, and, and the band did a, a pretty good job uh, with uh, making a point for us, which is a, an important point, is that you've got to serve somebody, right? We're going to serve somebody. We are serving somebody, so we need to be intentional about who that is. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about being set free to transform the world, but really what I, I want to kind of disseminate what that means and bringing that home to where it starts and where it needs to begin. So I have one point. It begins with you. Well, and for me, it begins with me. You choose. And of course, choosing, not choosing is choosing. But it begins with each of us in our journey. The passage of scripture for today is out of Matthew chapter 5. And um, it's kind of two parts, so I'm going to break it up a little bit. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So salt. Anybody in here use salt? <laughs> Why? Tastes good. <laughs> it helps preserve us. <laughs> salt adds seasoning. It's seasoning, right? It adds flavor to, to things. It makes it taste better than what it was. So we as Christians are the salt of the earth. So we're supposed to add flavor, and we're supposed to be the kind of people that impact others' life and make lives better. What happens if you have too much salt? Tastes bad, right? What is too much salt? What, what, what does that do to things? It dries it out, right? It's actually a desiccant. It takes life out of things. See, I, part of one of my contentions is that in the church, when all we do is hang out with each other and focus on each other, we become so salty that we suck the life out of everything. And then we focus on each other, and we're, we're looking at, oh, you're not doing it right, or you're not, and, and next thing you know, that flavor and that, and that good taste and that seasoning for life is gone. And it's just, it's empty. And I grew up uh, with cattle, and, and, and uh, my dad fancied himself a little bit of a rancher, so I was a 4-H kid, and, and so we had pigs and, and uh, horses and all kinds of stuff. And we would have salt licks. I, I don't know if that's healthy. Any, it, we, I mean, that was a big deal. We have salt licks for the cattle, right? We had put them out there, and they, they you know, yeah, you know. 
Um, what if we're a salt lick as a body of believers? Yeah. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> we are to add flavor and seasoning to, to life. The second part of this passage, I love that it's salt and light. Because that's who we're supposed to be. I'm going to let you read that. And I'm just going to talk about being light. You see, we bring light into the areas that we go as well. That we're called to do that. We're, we're light bringers. And the world is a very dark place at times, right? And we act surprised when we get into the world and it's dark. And there's hopelessness. You know? You know why there's darkness? Because we're not bringing the light. You and I are the light. And again, when we focus and we hang out with each other and we don't get into the world, we're not doing that which we're called to do. We're supposed to bring the light of Christ to others. We're called to do that. That's a part of who we are. And that always starts with us. Methodism is an interesting religion or denomination. Um, our founder is a gentleman named John Wesley. And he was an interesting cat. He, he did some uh, pretty strange things along the way on his path. But he was an Anglican priest. Did y'all know that? You know what he became after Methodism happened? An Anglican priest. He never left the Anglican church. His intent was not to create a new denomination. His intent was to see transformation happen within the Anglican church. It, the Anglican church it was, was not going in a, a, you know, a, a missional direction, so, and he was a missional guy. Uh, for example, in, when he was in school, he and his buddies would get together, they'd get up early, and they'd get together, and they'd pray, and then they'd, they'd study scripture, and, 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 and then they'd go about their daily business, and, and later in the day, they'd go, and they'd, they'd visit the poor, and they'd visit prisoners, and he had this process. He had this method of doing things. And his, his cohorts, would, they labeled him and his buddies the Holy Club. Because they were just holy. They were doing study and they were praying and doing all this stuff. Now, you look back and you go, you know, a little holiness probably been good for them too. That's where we came from. That's, that's where we started. There were the, it, what happened and started the denomination was that Wes, Wesley had three guys. He wanted to get them ordained in the Anglican church. He went and said, I've got these three guys. I'm going to send them to America. Can we ordain them? And the Anglican church said, no. So <laughs> Wesley, being the uh, rule-abiding, following guy he was, said, okay, I'll do it myself. And he ordained them and sent them on their way. And then we sprung out of that because we have a method to, to who we are. Small groups uh, are a big part of Methodism because we know that if we don't have small groups, then we're not going to be able to grow in the way that we, we, we need to grow. So that's where Methodism came. It sprung out of being a movement in community, which for me is a beautiful thing because you know how the church itself started? Movement in community. We didn't have they didn't even have places, worship centers like this. They had people's houses and businesses. And so people would get together and they'd meet in those businesses and in those houses. And that's how Christianity spread. 
as a movement in community. Part of what, what we're doing back here, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. These are service opportunities. These are opportunities for us to be a movement in community. We're called to do that. And, and each of us has a role to play within that. Movement in community, that's who you are and that's who, who I am called to be. There was a, there's a saying, it was, it's been attributed to Elie Wiesel. I can never say his name right. But, um, but it actually isn't his saying. It's uh, Rabbi Schmelke of Nicholsburg, who ironically was a contemporary of John Wesley, and he said this. Basing myself on the Talmudic saying that if all men repented, the Messiah would come, I decided to do something about it. I was convinced I would be successful, but where was I to start? The world is so vast, right? Talking about transforming the world, and it's like, what? How do, I, how do I transform the world? It's big. I'll start with the country I know best, my own. But my country is very large. I'd better start with my town, but my town too is large. I'd best start with my street, no. Start with my home, no. My family. Never mind. I'm going to start with myself. All leadership starts with self-leadership. It begins with us. In order to see the world transformed, we have to be transformed ourselves. We have to do the things that are transformative. So I don't know which of these things that God is calling you to, but I know that he's calling each of us to be in service in an area because it's transformative. In fact, there's, gonna, there's three things that I want to speak to this morning, three challenges that I want to put out there for us as a congregation. One is that you are involved in a Sunday school or a small group of some kind. And the reason for that is that we have got to be growing in our faith. And if it's just me by myself, then I can get out of whack. I need somebody in my life, a group of people preferably, who can go, Mike, that's, that's not right. Or Mike, that's great. I hadn't thought of that before. But together we become something that we can't be in and of ourselves. So a, a place where you're growing in your faith, a small group, it can be Sunday school, it can be a small group that's already going. We've got several of those, right? The Dwyers, you have a small group. Um, Rumbaugh's, Corey was here. Corey, <laughs> Corey is here. Swanson's have one. Um, we will get other, le we're, you know, for Traders of the Transformed Life, I haven't told Vicki, but Kit and I are going are to lead one. It will probably be here because we haven't been able to move out here yet. But developing leaders is, oh, we'll figure that part out, right? We need to be in a small group that's helping us walk together. The other thing is we need to be involved in at least one place of service because that gets us out of ourselves. So we need to be serving others. We're not called to just do our own thing. We're called to be in service to others. So, so we need to be engaged in that. And the third is to live a lifestyle of worship. And what that means is, is the challenge in the, is to live a 24-7, right, a lifestyle of worship. Brother Lawrence, I th there was a, somebody was talking about him this week. I don't remember which group it was. But Brother Lawrence was, was the guy who, who wrote uh, the practice. Oh, my goodness. Anybody remember the book he wrote? Pract Practicing the Presence of God. Practicing the presence of God. Because if you want to be 
in that kind of relationship with God, then you can't just, it's not just going to happen. You're going to have to practice at it. You're going to have to work at it. it it's it's going to be difficult. He would, I'm washing dishes as unto the Lord. I, I don't know how you wash dishes as unto the Lord because that's not a, not a very worshipful thing. But, but he would, he, that was how he looked at it and, how, and his goal. So the challenge is to live that way in all of our life. And if you are in town and you're not sick, then you come on, into together on Sunday because there are people here this morning who need you. And there are people that, that, that you need. And when, you, when any of us is not here, part of the body of Christ is missing. So the challenge is as often as you're in town, show up. Show up. Live this lifestyle of worship. See, when Jesus sent his disciples out, you know, he, he didn't do that and say, okay, Peter, you go over here, and John, you go over here, James, you go. He, he paired them up. He didn't send them one out there individually because he knew that if they went out individually that the world would beat them up and they wouldn't make it. So he sent them out in twos and pairs. So if you're going it alone, then you're making up your own pattern. If you're making up your own pattern, you're setting pitfalls for yourself because we as believers need one another. If you remember the fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians 5, 22 through 25, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generosity, self-control, those are the things that show where we are in our journey. That's the fruit that we see. Matt, if you'll give the next slide. When we're living this way, this is what happens for us. This is what other people see in us. This is the outpouring, the outcropping of, of living this life of discipleship that we're talking about. So how do you do that at home, right? As parents, how, how do we grow our kids up in this way? Well, there's some things that, that we can do. Look for opportunities, right? Look for opportunities to pray with your kids and for grandparents as well. How can we best support our kids? For, for parents, after, pick a time, a devotional time or at some kind of a time like at the end of the school day when you're just kind of intentionally setting aside a time to go, how is your day? Is there anybody we need to pray for? Do we need to pray for one of your, one of your teachers? Do we need to pray for one of your friends? What do we need to pray for for you? And develop this culture of prayer in your family. You have to be intentional. It's not just going to happen. Devotion time. Setting aside time to spend with family. Maybe you choose to teach the Bible during that family time. Maybe it's something else. Intentionality is critical. Each week that they're here, they learn, they learn something, right? <laughs> Do y'all ask them, what'd you learn in, children's, in, in, in Sunday school or in children's church? How's that going to help you this week? Be intentional about that. And when the culture gives us a gift, we need to embrace it. Anybody play Pokemon Go? <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> I'm okay at it. Kit's way better. <laughs> Did you know that Arbor Point Church is a pokey stop? 
<laughs> All the Pokemon Go players are going, yeah, yeah, yeah we know that. A Pokestop is a place where you get resupplied, right? So, so the thing spins and it gives you, you know, some things that you use in the game. And a lot of folks are going, that is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I'm sitting here going, did you know that Pokestops are churches? Why don't we leverage what we're given as a gift in our family? Hey, look, there's a church. I want to go fill up. Okay, well, what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his life. All right, we'll go ahead and waste our time and go over there and get you some stuff. Our culture will give us some gifts. Now, I'm not... Our culture is also a challenge, right? In the world, but not of the world. When it gives us a gift, my goodness, we ought to be grabbing that. Right, Hannah? What level are you? <laughs> level 22. <laughs> Kids like eight, 17. <laughs> so Hannah's better than us. Da Vinci Code. Y'all remember the Da Vinci Code? Is that an accurate portrayal of Scripture? No. We had folks back when that movie came out that would not watch the movie. They were mad about the movie. They talked against the movie. And we did a study on the movie. When culture gives us a gift, Say, okay, so how it, what is wrong? What is off target with this? Let's have that discussion. Noah, talk about a movie that's... <laughs> I mean, it had stuff like Watchers and <laughs> all this other stuff in it that are just made up. It's a movie, okay? It's a movie. It's entertainment. But grabbing hold of that and going, okay, let's talk about Noah. It's an opportunity for us to, to use what we're given to reach others for Christ. See, the church is in the world, but not of the world, right? So the world is here, and we're in the world, and where, we're, where our ministry is going to happen is not in where the word church is, not in the center, because that's where we, get, we become a salt lick, because we're only hanging out with each other. That's when we become so salty that we're no good for anybody and we're, and we're sucking the life out because it it's just us and all we can do is focus on each other. It's not that we don't need those times for replenishment and rejuvenation, but if that's all we do, if all by, the only friends I have are Christians, I best get out and do some stuff because where we're supposed to be is where the church and the world meet. That's where we're supposed to be. That's the margin. That's where, that's where questions are. That's where life is. That's where we can bring light to the darkness. That's where salt becomes a season for other people, a seasoning for other people, and we can see differences made in the world, but not of the world, making a difference in the lives of others. How many folks can give me Proverbs 22.6 off the top of your head? Raise your children in the way they should go, and they will. Old. Oh. Oh. <laughs> old. 
And when they're old, they will not depart from it. <laughs> Any praying parents for kids in here? Praying grandparents for grandkids? See, another reason that we come together is so that we, as, a, as a body of believers, but also as a family, it's why what Corey does and, and what, what Harold do is, is so important for us. We lay the foundation because you know good and well what's going to happen when they hit their teenage, their young adult life is they're going to do dumb stuff. <laughs> That's right, even you, Sydney. You're going to do dumb stuff. <laughs> I'm sure you have. And your mom has gone, please don't do that, please don't do that, please. And she's going to do it. She did it. See, that's the interesting thing about parenting, right, is that you get really stupid when they're adolescents. <laughs> you're not very smart. You don't, you don't know what you're talking about. And then as they get older and they hit 25, you know, 26, 27, you know, mom and dad weren't quite so, so dumb after all. They had, a, they had a clue. I wish I'd listened to them back then. So let me encourage you to listen now, but I know you won't, but still. Um, we raise our kids up, lay the foundation, and then we trust God. Because they're just like us. When you were young, you had your share of mistakes too. You did your share of stuff too. They're going to do the same. It's okay. Because if that foundation is laid, they know. Because God gets in there and, and you know, I can, I can use me, me for this. Because I was raised up in the way that I should go, in the midst of my addiction, I knew what I was doing was not what I was supposed to be doing. And I knew that there was a possibility of a way out. And it was because I was raised up in the way that I should go. And then, boy, did I ever depart from it. I, and now I'm a pastor. It's, Every once in a while, I just go, God, I don't know how you did it, but good for you, because <laughs> it ain't possible. Grab hold of the parents, grandparents. Grab hold of this scripture. Keep praying, but grab, grab hold. Grab hold of this. This is powerful. You know, God gave us this gift because he, he knows us, and he knew your kids just like he knew us when we were kids. Don't give up. Never give up. Keep praying. You know, keep lifting your kids up, lift your grandkids up, because God is with them even in the midst of the worst of their decisions. Hang in there, right? Hang in there. So transformation begins at home, begins with us. But when we see a transformation happen in our life, then it begins to flow through us. And then it impacts the others around us, our family. It moves us even beyond that over time. We're claimed by God. We're shaped by him. We're made in the image of God to be a brand new person, to live in the world differently, to be used powerfully in ways that we can't imagine. Mike Roberts, I've seen the pictures of him recently when he had some hair. <laughs> I'm really, relatively certain if I'd have asked about that band and said, Mike, you know, you're going to be leading worship 
2016. He just said, what? I don't think that's going to happen. What are you laughing about? You play drums. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be in a worship band. Nah, you haven't. God takes us, and when we're available, he does stuff with us that can't be done. It's powerful. It's very, very powerful. We're not put on the earth just to make a difference in the world. We're put on this earth to make the world different. You get the difference in that? We're put on the earth to make the world different. Now, there's this lady. She's passed now, but she had something to say about the family, so I thought I'd let her say it. Where does this love begin? In our own family, in our own home. How does it begin? By praying together. Family that prays together stays together. And if you stay together, you will love one another as God loves each one of you. Today, the world, in the world, there's so much suffering because of that one, of prayer, of unity in the family. So today, when we are together, let us make one strong resolution that we will bring prayer in our family, that we will teach our children to pray and pray with them. And you will see the joy and the love and the peace that will come into your hearts. Because the fruit of prayer is the deepening of faith. And the fruit of faith is love. And the fruit of love is service. And the fruit of service is peace. Works of love are works of peace. That is why let us bring the tender love of God in our families. So Mother Teresa, did you catch that? The fruit of prayer is the deepening of faith. The fruit of faith is found in love. The fruit of love is service. The fruit of service is peace. And works of love are works of peace. And then she pleads with us to let us make that tender love of God and bring that into our families. See, my, my belief is that if we're willing to do the do's of our faith, if we're willing to step out in faith, look for opportunities to serve in his name, then transformation is going to happen. And are we willing to embrace that personally and take responsibility for that and to walk fully into that? Because if we are, it will happen. God is a transforming God. And he wants that to happen. The band is going to play a song called To the Cross. Because ultimately, it all begins at the cross.